0: All right, a quick review of where we have been in our series, The Beginning in the End. The last few weeks as we study through the book of Revelation, we have talked from the beginning that this troubling letter, this this letter full of trouble, isn't really about the trouble. That while it's full of trouble, it's not about the trouble. It's ultimately about Jesus. It's about the one who's above and beyond any trouble. And as we've looked to the tribulation, the Antichrist forces, the ideas of rapture, and the second coming of Christ, we have learned some incredibly important truths. We've learned that God is worthy of our trust, even in trouble, because his intention is and always has been and always will be our redemption. We've learned that the real question that we have to ask ourselves in the face of opposition for our faith and opposition for our belief in God, the real question we must ask in the face of the world opposing our faith is simply this, who has your allegiance? Who has you? And then last week we learned about the hope that we have and the preparation we should all do because someday the realities of heaven will be made clear and will become the reality that we experience on the earth. So let's just say this. We have covered a lot in this series. Like as we've talked about the end of the world, as we talked about John's revelation and John's vision of the end of the world, we have talked about a lot. We have covered a lot of end stuff. We've covered a lot of troubling stuff. We've covered a lot of hopeful stuff. We've covered a lot of confrontational stuff. We've covered a lot. As we said at the beginning of this series, Revelation is a lot. We have covered tribulation and trials, and boy, there is a lot of it. We have covered the Antichrist forces in the world, and that one day we won't behind, they won't be behind the scenes, but they will be the forces driving the entire world out in the open. They'll be in power everywhere. And we've covered the return of Christ and his return to rule and reign and bring the realities of heaven to the earth, and that is a lot. And it's possible that some of you might be thinking like I'm almost thinking well, what's left? Like, like, what still is there to talk about? Do we need another week? Because what's left after Jesus comes back to the earth? Because when Christ returns, isn't that kind of like the end of the story? He returns, he kicks the devil's butt, he tears up the forces that oppose the work and the people of God. He's ruling, he's reigning, he's always entertaining. But like at the end of all that, at the end of all that, what else is there? He's victorious, he's judging the world. What else is there? And what's left is the end, which ironically enough is ultimately a new beginning we pick up in Revelation chapter 20 with the defeat of Satan it says this when the thousand years came come to an end Satan will be let out of his prison he will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth he will gather them together for battle a mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore and I saw them as they went up to the on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Forever and ever. In the end, the enemy of God and the enemy of humanity will be finally and fully defeated. That is a beautiful and wonderful thought. No more enemy. No more enemy whose tricks are deception and division. No more enemy whose entire goal in his existence is to deceive and to divide, divide the people of God and to separate people from God. No more spiritual attacks from an enemy that we can't physically see. But it does raise a question for us like, oh why? Like why? Like, why would God allow the enemy to be let out? Like, like God, you know, a thousand years of Christ's rule and reign with the, with the enemy imprisoned. Why would God allow that enemy out of prison to cause a war, to cause more division, to cause more deception, to cause more separation? Like, after Jesus returns, why would God allow this to happen? Why would God allow the enemy to be loosed? And the answer lies in something that's really foundational to who God is. See, God is and always has been. A God of choice. God is and always has been a God of choice. God has always desired that people would choose Him while having the option to choose something and someone else. From the beginning, God has been a God who didn't want our blind trust, but wants our chosen allegiance doesn't want our blind trust because we have no other option, but wants our chosen allegiance to him. God has always wanted us to choose him while having the option to choose another. To choose him instead of the tree at the middle of the garden. To trust him instead of trusting the serpent. To choose him over comfort. To choose him and his freedom over the slavery and familiarity of Egypt. To choose him as king instead of trusting an earthly king to choose him instead of the ways of the world, to choose him instead of the empire, to choose him instead of anything and everything. And so in this final moment, when the world has lived for thousands of years experiencing the brokenness of sin, deception, and division, and then finally lives in the peace and the healing that Jesus will bring for a thousand years, God will once again give humanity a choice. God will say, "Like, look, you've experienced the brokenness of, of living in the enemy's world. You've experienced all of that and now you have lived in the healing and the freedom and the peace that i can bring. and so at the end, once again, god will give humanity a choice. and unfortunately, as we're told, a large chunk of humanity having lived in the goodness and peace of god will choose against god and go to war to him, go to war against him to their end. god wins. and as god wins, the finale ultimately begins. God gives people a choice one more time. God allows people to, God desires for people to choose Him while having the option to choose another. John went on, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the final judgment. This is what many people would call the white throne judgment. And we're told not only does Jesus come to earth, but God, our heavenly father, the supreme judge will preside over the judgment. We're told that humanity that opposed God will attempt to flee from his presence, but will find no place to hide. And those living and those who previously died, all raised, all will be raised in body, soul, and spirit for a final moment of judgment. And right here, we are told what happens to those who chose something other than God our Father displayed to us through Jesus Christ. And in this moment, we are confronted with two realities. And the first one is simply this. Everyone will spend eternity somewhere. Everyone will spend eternity somewhere. You will spend eternity somewhere. I will spend Eternity somewhere. Everyone will spend eternity somewhere. And we have two options. There are not multiple options. There are two options. Everyone will spend eternity either in the presence of God or in the absence of God. Either in the presence of God or the absence of of God. To be in the presence of God means to be in the presence of perfection, in unfiltered and unmasked relationship with our Heavenly Father, in perfectly perfect relation with the source of all goodness, strength, love, and peace, in perfect relationship with the with with his with him and his creation. I know we all have questions and hopes and dreams of what we hope that will be like and what it will look like. And we want it to be unlimited Chick-fil-A milkshakes and we want it to be chipotle on demand, and we want to talk to our heroes of the faith, and we want to like all kinds of stuff and all kinds of material things that we go, like this would be the most amazing thing in the world. We all have our hopes and dreams of what that would be like. I get that. That's what it is to be in the presence of God. To be in the absence of God means to be removed from the presence of perfection, unable to experience relationship with our Heavenly Father, without access to relationship with the source of all goodness, love, and peace. And again, I know a lot of us have questions about what that looks like. And since Jesus left the earth, people have tried to paint pictures and take their best guesses as what it would look like to be in that place. But at the end of the day, here's what I know for sure about eternity in the presence of God versus eternity in the absence of God. Here's what but I know one has Jesus and the other doesn't. One has Jesus and the other doesn't and I want to spend eternity with Jesus. I want to spend eternity in the presence of goodness. I want to spend eternity in the presence of the source of life. I want to spend eternity in the presence of the one who laid down his life for my, to win my life and to purchase my life to purchase my redemption, to pay for my sin so that I could once again be returned to the presence of a holy God. I want to be in a, the presence of Jesus. See, here's what I know. All the goodness and streets of gold and chipotle on demand and chick-fil-a peach milkshakes on demand won't mean much if jesus isn't there with us here's what else some of us some of us have come to know in life you can walk through the most insane painful tragic moments of life and you can keep walking if jesus is with you the presence of jesus is what makes heaven so good and the absence of jesus is what will make hell unbearable that's, what, that's, that's, the, that's the end game. The presence of Jesus is what will make heaven or make eternity with God so good. And the absence of Jesus is what will make the absence of, of, of God so unbearable. And because of that, there's something else that I know. Not only will everyone spend eternity somewhere, but you will experience in eternity who you choose in the temporary You and I, every single person, will experience in eternity who you choose in the temporary. Not what, but who. Not what but who? Not where, but who? Because God is a gentleman. He will not force you to be in his presence forever when you reject a relationship with him during this lifetime. An eternity separated from God, this is important to understand, is not a punishment from God, but rather the very natural outcome of turning away from and rejecting the God who loves us. God will not force on you in eternity what you chose against In this lifetime. And so God, as a gentleman, as a judge, lets people go to the thing they have experienced and chosen in this side of eternity. Also, an eternity with Jesus is not a reward for choosing God, but the very natural outcome of choosing God in this life. God will allow every one of us to choose him or to not choose him, and we will spend eternity in his presence or without him, based on whether we accepted or rejected him in the here and now this is why Jesus's judgment and God's ultimate judgment comes down to this ultimate question that we introduced last week what did you do with Jesus what did you do with Jesus? Did you choose him in the here and now? Because choosing Jesus means embracing your heavenly Father and all his goodness and all his love and all his strength this side of eternity and rejecting Jesus means rejecting your heavenly Father and all his goodness and his grace and his love and his strength this side of eternity. Some people, maybe you and I like I, I feel that like I understand this, might argue well, that's not fair. I can't like why would God send someone to hell? why would God send someone to a lake of fire? Like, why would God send someone to a place that he knows lacks any goodness? And as graciously as I can, I would suggest that God desires no one spend eternity apart from him. God did not create humanity to send it to a, to, to, a, to a place where he where he is not. God did not create us for that purpose but God gives us the choice. God is and always has been a God of choice who wants us to choose him while having the option to choose another and unfortunately what that means is that someday we will some of us will experience in reality in, in eternity what we've chosen and who we've chosen in our here and now. God doesn't send anyone to hell. God allows people to experience eternally who they chose in this temporary life. And so we either choose God in this life and experience His presence and His goodness and His love and His strength and His grace and His mercy and His compassion and His power and His strength in eternity, or we choose against Him and we experience the absence of His presence for all eternity. God does not send anyone anywhere. God allows people to experience in eternity what we have chosen and who, ultimately who, we have chosen on this side of eternity in our temporary lives. So choose well. What did you do with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? Revelation chapter 21 goes on, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. We read this before. We read this at the very beginning in our first week. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. See, in in the previous verses that we read, we see what happens for people and to people and where people are sent who did not choose Jesus on this side of eternity. We're told they're sent out of the presence of God, away from the presence of God to experience the absence of of the presence of God forever. But here we begin to be told what happens and what people will experience who act, who chose Jesus on this side of eternity and will be in the presence of God forever. It says, And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all of these blessings. will be given all of these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is an amazing scene. Again, the story doesn't end with us going to heaven our world ends with heaven coming to earth and everything is made new. There is a new heaven and a new earth in perfect connection and everything on earth is made new and everything on earth is transformed and conformed into what God intended all along. We're told that a new Jerusalem, a new chosen city for God's dwelling comes to earth and true to form as God dwelt among his people in the temple of the old Jerusalem, God will dwell. He will make his home among his his people in this new Jerusalem, people will literally live in the same city with our God present. Not in the not in heaven, not in the clouds, not wherever we you know wherever we think God may be now. Not 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 somewhere where we where we someday hope to see him, but we can see him face to face. We will know that he is present among us. Those who have placed their faith in God, those who have built their lives around God, will live in the presence of God we'll live completely connected to God and we're told that in the perfect presence of God when God makes all things new and brings healing and restoration to the whole world to bring creation back to the way he planned from the beginning there will be no tears no death no sorrow no crying and no pain let me just try to like picture this for a second there will be no tears There will be no tears. I don't know how many of you watching are criers. I know some people actually enjoy a good cry. For the rest of us who don't particularly enjoy crying, I mean, for for you who enjoy a good cry, unfortunately, this is bad news for you, but this is great news for the rest of us who don't particularly enjoy crying. There will be no more tears. When God has everything the way God wants, there will be no tears. Not only will there be no tears, there will be no sorrow, which means there will be no reason for tears. There will be no reason for tears. There will be no more sorrow. That those things that break our hearts and bring us deep sadness will be gone forever as we find only joy in the presence of our heavenly Father. There will be no death, no loss, No more losing someone that you care about. No more losing someone that you love. No more life coming to an end. We will have life eternal, life forever. Life will not come to an end there. There will be no loss. I mean, like, what an amazing picture. And then no pain. No pain. Now, some of you watching this, you are under the age of 30. And so you won't really understand how good this promise is until you hit 30 and you wake up and you hurt. See, under 30, if you wake up and you hurt, you're like, oh, I don't know, I... I'm hurt. I, I I wake up. I'm waking up in pain because because I you know lifted too hard or I did something that was physically exerting yesterday. Like I did like that's the reason that I'm that I'm waking up hurting. Like I'm hurting because that. And over thirty, you wake up hurting and you go, oh, I'm hurting because I'm alive. Like like isn't that isn't that great? Like. Here's the here's the amazing promise of that. Whether it's physical exertion that's too hard or whether it's working out too hard or whether it's being over the age of 30 or over the age of 40 or over the age of 50 or over the age of 60 or over the age of 70, no more pain. No more muscle aches, no more cancer, no more no no more back ache, no more hip pain, no more knee pain, no more foot pain, no more headaches, no more shoulder aches, no more no more arthritis, no more Anything that causes pain because God brings perfect healing and brings the human body among all of his creation, brings the human body back to his perfected settings, back to his perfected intended beginning point. Isn't, I mean, like, this is an unbelievably amazing promise. How good does eternity with God sound? John would go on. He said, Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in the Spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by the 12 angels and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. Then he, when he measured it, he found it was a square as wide as it was long. In fact, it was in, in fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. This is a city larger than any city that has ever been. This is a city larger than any empire had ever been. This is a city, in fact, this is a city that's larger than the entirety of the Roman Empire at its largest. This is a city with walls thicker than the walls of Babylon, which were the largest, thickest walls in human history. Rome, at its peak, was 1.9 million square miles. New Jerusalem, At 1,400 by 1,400 square miles is the New Jerusalem is 1.96 million square miles, larger than the entirety of the Roman Empire. This is unthinkable, but this is intentional by John. Rome was the largest thing that anyone had ever seen. No one could picture the idea of something bigger and stronger and better than Rome. No one who understood how big and how strong Babylon, Babylon was could picture walls thicker and stronger than Babylon. John lived in a world where it was said that of Rome that Rome covered the whole earth. And John says the new Jerusalem will be a city larger than the entirety of the Roman Empire. Babylon had walls that were about 80 feet thick, which is still, I mean, insanely thick walls. And John says the new Jerusalem, this city, the city of God, will have walls three times stronger, three times thicker That no matter what the best that humanity can build, no matter what the largest that humanity can build, God has better and God has stronger. Verse 18, we're told this, the wall was made of jasper and the city was pure gold as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl and the main street was pure gold as clear as glass. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, and the city has no need of sun or moon. For the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And then in Revelation chapter 22, we get the conclusion of the end. We're told this, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, "...flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will, be, will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face." And his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. And then the angel said to me, Everything that you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. Now, I said in person last week, and I don't remember if I, if I said it online or not, I said last week as a teaser for this, that my hope today is not to scare the hell out of anyone. Then my, my, my hope is not to go like, man, hell is bad. You don't want to go there. I mean, I, although I think hell is terrible and I don't think you want to go there. My hope today is to inspire heaven into everyone. My hope is that as we read this picture of the end of time, as we read this picture of the end, that we would see what eternity with God looks like is so good, so breathtaking, so amazing, that in the presence of God is the presence of all goodness, of perfection, of the restored settings back to the original creation, of of experiencing everything God created and intended for humanity all along and created for you and created for me to experience all along. It is so good. It is so breathtaking. It is so wonderful that every one of us would want to choose that. And that in order to choose that, we would choose Jesus in the here and Now, that when God has things the way that God wants, not only will we find ourselves separated from the things that have broken us and separated us from God, we will find ourselves living in God's world as God intended all along. And in God's world... The picture that we see in God's world, we will experience some things that are so good, I don't know if we can truly fathom them. But here's what we'll experience in God's world as we see some of the symbolism of of what the city is made of and what the city looks like and what it feels like. We will experience perfect clarity with God. You see this thing that's jasper, as clear as crystal. There will be no more wondering what God is like. We will see and experience God with perfect clarity. Clarity, there's clarity, there's purity. The gold is a symbol of purity that we will live in the purity of God's in creation. No more impurities, no more blemishes, no more scratches, no more, well, that's pretty good, but it's not quite the, 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 the real thing. No, this will be the real thing come to earth and we can touch it and we can feel it and we will know that it is pure and that it is the real authentic thing. We'll have clarity, we'll have purity, we'll have strength. We'll live in God's strength. The thickness of the walls is absolutely impenetrable impenetrable that even Babylon with its 80-foot walls it was pen- like people got in and people invaded the city. But God's city will be so thick and so strong that nothing and no one to harm us could ever come in. We'll live in God's strength. We'll live in God's consistency. I think this is so interesting. There is no more day and night. There's no more back and forth between the day and the night. There's no more back and forth between darkness and light. We will live in God's consistency, which for some of you who have experienced the chaos of the world holy cow can you imagine living in God's consistency forever and there is only light there I mean maybe but might be like Alaska in June where they're like can it be night no it cannot be night because there will be no back and forth between the inconsistency and and of, of life there will only be the consistency of Of our God. We'll live in God's provision, the river of life. It's clear as crystal. It's unpolluted water. It's unpolluted river of life. There's crops that bear fruit that we will never tire of. They bear a new crop each month, so we'll never grow tired. And there is absolute perfection. There is no curse, nothing that sin has stained, nothing that sin has broken, nothing that sin has brought a curse on. Everything is returned to the way God intended it from the beginning. That is what God has for you and what God has for me in eternity with Him. That is what God wants you to experience and what God wants me to experience. That what, that's what God wants you to live in with Him for eternity, and that's what God wants me to live in for eternity. And so here's the bottom line as we close out this series. The bottom line is simply this, that the end is an invitation to a new beginning. As we, as, as we read through this entire this entire vision and this entire revelation from John. And we go, well, what's the point of all of this? What's the point in knowing about the end? The point in knowing about the end is so that you know and that I know that at the end of all things, we are ultimately invited into a new beginning, that at the end of our world, we don't see an end that results in an end. We receive an invitation through Jesus into a new beginning, that God has sent an invitation to you and God has sent an invitation to me, not to view the end, but to know about the new beginning. A beginning in a world like none of us have ever seen before, in a world so good that few of us would dare to imagine. But even in saying that, while we dare not imagine this, this is ultimately a return to the world that God always Intended. And so to say this another way is simply to understand this that the end is an invitation to the world God intended from the beginning. That God heals the nation, that God heals the earth, that God doesn't just make it a little bit better, but God brings it back to original settings, that God hits the reset button and heaven comes to earth. And when heaven comes to earth, we will live in the perfect clarity of God, perfectly seeing and understanding our heavenly father. You are invited to, in the end, you are invited to experience a walk with God in clarity that we were supposed to have all along. In the end, we're invited to experience God's purity that we were supposed to experience all along. In the end, we're invited to live in God's strength as we were supposed to live in it all along. In the end, we're invited to live in God's consistency that we were supposed to live in all along. In the end, we are invited to live in God's provision as we were supposed to experience all along. And in the end, we're invited to live in God's perfect presence like we were supposed to from the very beginning. If you notice, this city of God has a lot of characteristics that sound like a garden. What did God plant humanity in from the very beginning? A garden. And there was two of them, but it was large enough to provide for all humanity at that, at, that, w- that would come from them. And now, at the end of all time, God plants a city that is a garden that's large enough for all of humanity to live in and to be provided for and to experience him and to be close to him and to dwell in his presence. This is so, so, so good. What a wonderfully amazing picture and promise from our God. And here's the best news of all. Here's the best news of all about this end that's ultimately a new beginning. Everyone is invited. Everyone's invited. All nations are invited. All races are invited. Men and women are invited. People of all color, race, tribe, and tongue are invited. Everyone's there. Everyone is invited. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's wanted. Everyone is invited. And the greatest news of that is that you are invited. And I am invited. That every one of us has received an invitation from our Heavenly Father through Jesus through Jesus' death and His resurrection, to a connection with our Heavenly Father that will make us new in the here and now and will connect us to our Heavenly Father for eternity. Everyone's invited, and you are invited. And once again, the way to RSVP the way to ensure that there is a place for you at the party to end all parties, the way to make sure that you have a spot reserved for you in the end that is a new beginning is to simply answer the question, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? That if you've never experienced him as as your Lord and as your Savior, if you've never accepted his sacrifice for you, if you've never accepted his death and his resurrection and placed your trust in that to bring you forgiveness of sins and to bring you new life in him, today is a day for you to RSVP. For eternity, to RSVP to the new beginning that God will bring about someday at the end of all of our days, to, in, to RSVP to reserve your spot at a, for for eternity with your heavenly Father in the presence of your heavenly Father in perfect clarity, in perfect provision, in His perfect presence forever. You can experience that today, and in a moment as we pray. If you've never made that decision, I would encourage you to make that decision today. I would encourage you to click the link in the description of this video to let us know that you've made a decision to trust in Christ so that we can get you some resources to help you take your next step in the here and now. But I want to encourage you, if you've never taken that step, it's time to take that step. It's time to take that leap of faith that is no leap, but it's the perfect next step to trust your heavenly Father. Because of who he is, because of how good he is, because of how wonderful he is, because he sent Jesus to die for you, because Jesus rose from the dead for you, and to to secure life forever for you. See, that is the end of the beginning in the end. And unsurprisingly, in the end, there is a new beginning for you and for me and for all of us. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the new beginning that you show us. That in the end, after all the trouble and all the trial and all the persecution and all the, all the chaos and confusion that will be present at the end of the world's way of doing things, God, you bring healing and you bring your peace and you bring your goodness and your love and your strength to every single one of us. God, thank you that we are all invited. Thank you that we are all welcome. Thank you that every single one of us gets a shot to experiencing your goodness and your experience and your love and your mercy forever. God, help us to choose well in the temporary so that we can experience you in eternity. We love you, God. Help us to have the wisdom to know what to do with this. But more than anything, help us to be courageous enough to choose you to trust you, to follow you, to live for you, and to someday live with you forever. God, help us to do that. We love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.